Hello and welcome to Startup 107 podcast. My name is Sumit Patil and this podcast is about exploring the unexplored startup stories around the world and please make sure to subscribe to this podcast on any platform you're listening on and without further ado let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to Startup 107 podcast. My name is Sumit Patil and in today's episode I'm joined by Ken Summers. Uh, Kent is a seasoned tech entrepreneur. He has been part of four successful exits, where in three of those he was the CEO and founder of the same. Kent is also an investor. He serves on the board for several different companies. Uh, he also volunteers his time at, uh, at MIT University and guides the tech uh, startup founders on B two B sales. And he is also visiting lecturer at Harvard Business School. So first of all welcome to the podcast Kent and the list of things on your resume is quite is quite remarkable. Uh Sumit I'm glad to be here and I appreciate the um the opportunity. Thank you so much Kent. So I gave pretty descriptive introduction about yourself but uh tell us a bit more about yourself Kent. Uh well I've been in software my whole career um starting you know through the uh internet beta days and working my way through um starting running and selling companies and really the I'm sort of in the I'll call it the 2.0 part of my career where it's really not working for a single company but um you know doing the things that I really enjoy doing and doing them all um sort of on a part-time basis um you know i guess the the term the popular term these days is the gig economy well i've got 10 gigs <laughs> <laughs> that i try to juggle uh they're all fun uh they're all challenging they're all things i enjoy doing and they're impactful um they all have a sort of a common innovation theme here uh that that crosses uh, from from startup through development through exit and working with uh, talented founders to help them uh, avoid some of the mistakes i made in my career um but um also learn and and uh you know stay on top of um how our um all the technology is developing and so forth okay so can't you you have been involved into the business world from last 30 plus years uh just to get go back to a little bit uh were you always the business guy from your college days or this is something which you developed along the way uh we well, have a degree in english literature so we can start there um <laughs> okay okay yeah i i really didn't um uh rely on my formal education mm-hmm. um my my first job um out of college um was actually on the options trading desk at Bear Stearns on okay. Wall Street um doing index arbitrage doesn't have much to do with english had more to, much more to do with my interest and in skills with uh, computers which i sort of picked up on my own mm-hmm. uh right when the so i guess i got lucky timing is everything um when i was ready to be serious about uh working is right about the time that the um the PC uh was invented and started to get adopted by companies and I had uh, invested a lot of my time um before that you know learning them and getting good at them and um 
I think that, that if anything else, I owe my career to, um, to Microsoft and okay. IBM and, you know, the, the personal computer, because that's really what I, I built the early part of my career on. And then later the, the internet um, and all the innovation uh, around that. So I've just been sort of following the waves of innovation and finding um, interesting opportunities to create uh, innovation and uh, learn. Okay, okay. That, that's inspiring. That's inspiring. So you started your career at Wall Street, uh, Kent. How was that experience like being, a, being involved into uh, that part of the world? Uh, terrifying. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I had no business being there really. Okay. So it was uh, one of the steepest learning curves uh, mm-hmm. I've ever experienced. I like to think that I'm a fast learner, but this was um, really quite something. Um, so we were doing uh, index arbitrage, okay. uh, uh, program trading on SunSpark 2 computers hooked up to the delivery order turnaround system on uh, New York Stock Exchange and, and trading the derivatives over the phone in Chicago. Um, and I was a assistant uh, to a, a program trader there and just hanging on by my fingernails the whole time, just trying to figure out how I uh, could help, how I could add value and so forth. And it was, uh, it was terrifying, but was also very rewarding uh, experience as well. Um, uh, very, very interesting way to start a career. I ended up getting, you know, really following my passion and interest in computers more so than, than uh, finance. So that's really where I um, sort of took a turn more toward um, computers and software rather than finance and started with my, uh, my first venture, which was a, um, a startup out of the CS department of Brown doing this thing called a browser back in the late 80s and early 90s. And I thought that that was interesting. And I was their first hire outside of the founders that started the company. And it was built upon this um, standard called SGML. It was a dynamic browser, um, but it was built to run on CD-ROMs and Novell networks. Uh, it was This was pre-internet. And in 94, when the internet really started to look real, um, you know, it was threatening to our business. Um, and we, you know, we had a choice of whether to seek an acquirer or to go head to head with this uh, company called Mosaic Communication Corporation or Microsoft in the browser space. And we opted the former and ended up selling that company in 96 to a, a public company. And subsequent to that, uh, it was the great land grab on the internet and uh, you were able to. Sorry for the interruption. I lost Kent for a couple of seconds due to bad connectivity, but redirecting to the next part. Again, I think it was more the benefit of uh, good timing, lucky time that and uh, hung up my founders uh, spurs um, with the uh, internet bubble crash in 2002, 2003. And that's when I really started to focus more of my time um, working, volunteering my time up at MIT, doing lectures, you know, working sort of, uh, you know, part-time. Uh, for different things that I was interested in. And I 
that's that was 20 years ago and i haven't looked back <laughs> time flies quickly it does <laughs> <laughs> i just had my 63rd birthday and my wife calls me the true benjamin button she's oh wow <laughs> So let's hope that trend continues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Kent, absolutely. But dot com bubble, uh, you're someone who have built businesses in that time frame. Uh, give us a bit more insight into that. Well, I'll give you an example of one of the companies that I uh, founded. It was a a URL and a three page business plan that was acquired by a PE firm that I didn't even run. Okay, okay. So oh, okay, so that is I get. <laughs> maybe an extreme example mm-hmm. of how quickly uh, the innovation was, uh, was moving at that time. Uh, my, my three other uh, startups were all companies that, you know, we actually built a business around, hired people. Um, one was uh, bootstrap, one was angel backed, and my last one was backed by uh, a venture capital firm. So okay. they were all very different experiences. Um, a lot of the things that I enjoyed and didn't enjoy about each one that were especially challenging, but it was quite an education, I can assure you. Okay, that's great to hear, Kent. How did you make the transition from a job to a business? Did you have some motivation or what drove you to you know, transition from uh, a job to a business? Oh, well, that's easy. Uh, I'm not a very good employee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I have a bit of an independent spirit. Okay. Okay. Right. And uh, I just kind of like doing my own thing, Mm -hmm. uh, running my own show, being in in control of my own destiny. So I'm just not a very good employee. So it starts with recognizing that Mm -hmm. and that sort of limits your options from there on. Absolutely. That's true. I was listening to you and you on Joe's podcast, and I think there you also mentioned the same thing. I was hoping if I, if I can get something else, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's it's the truth. I mean, you got to know your strengths and know your weaknesses, and know what gets you up in the morning and what motivates you. And if you do things that you enjoy doing, you eventually fit, and, and you're determined, you eventually will figure out how to be, you know, to how to succeed. Absolutely. So Kent. Uh, you have been through the dot-com bubble. You have been through the internet boom. You have been through the COVID pandemic right now. How would you compare all these three events? Well, I don't, I don't put the COVID pandemic in the, you know, the Zoom mm-hmm. um, era in, in the same category as, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the PC evolution or the internet. Those are, those are you know, fundamental uh, those are huge transitions that impacted everybody's life and will continue to impact everyone's life for, you know, many, many decades. The, the, the COVID is just a blip. It's just something we had to deal with. Um, but I think it all, you know, it all think, I think it taught everyone important lessons. Um, one, one of the, Best lessons I think that came out of COVID was demystifying the myth that uh, you know people couldn't be trusted and be productive working at home. Absolutely, and, and I think a lot of companies that sort of went in with that assumption uh, really learned a lot about trusting their employees. And it turns out when you eliminate travel and commutes and so forth, um, 
people turn out to be more productive, not less productive, at least the right types of people. And I know that was a, a big challenge for a lot of HR organizations. It was pretty disruptive, mm -hmm. but um, I think a lot of good things you know, came out of the came out of the COVID. And it's also nice to speak about COVID in the past tense, uh, Sumit. <laughs> Absolutely, Ken. It, it, the situation was a little difficult for us in India for last one or one Oh, no, I, I, I really, I, I work with um, some, uh, quite a few entrepreneurs in India, and I know that it was brutal. It was a huge struggle over there, and I felt so bad about Absolutely. But over there. Yeah. Fortunately, the situation is now you know, residing and everything is getting back to normal right now. That's, that's great to hear. Yes. Yeah, but uh, the month of Ma March, April and May was something <laughs> pretty horrendous for all of us. So, yeah, no, no, I know. I, I, a, lot of, uh, a, a lot of people that I work with just went dark over there just trying to protect their families and I can appreciate the struggle. Um, but, you know, listen, I think it brought a lot of important lessons uh, to people in business. And uh, certainly with the, the great adult timeout gave people to reconnect with their families and their personal values. And I think it was, uh, you know, I, 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 I like to think about what you gain out of things, not what you lose. And I think there's a lot to be gained um, in a lot of different um dimensions from the COVID. I mean, look, look how quickly um, the uh, uh, companies turned out vaccines, um, you know, in need. In, in need is a, you know, they say it's the mother of invention. Well, a lot of people uh, put in long hours, uh, you know, to make it happen. And uh, it's just great to see the, you know, the human spirit um, in that way. Um, and hopefully, you know, we don't have to revisit this uh, for another 100 years, uh, you know, until the next uh, pandemic. But um, I, I think that there was a lot of things to be learned, you know, a lot of positive things to be learned out of the, the, the COVID experience. But I, I just don't put it in the same category as the personal computer, the Internet. I mean, those are those are tectonic uh, changes the COVID hopefully is just a little blip. Absolutely. Uh, Kent, one question which I was fascinated about is uh, you have built businesses in, in 90s and you've been part of, you know, several board uh, today as well. Uh, how easy or difficult it is to build a business today in comparison to that time? Uh, well, um, it's, it's much more difficult. Okay. Um, okay. Right. I mean, a lot of businesses were built on ignorance and naivete and greed, right? People just charging after something where hope was huge and reality was very small. And these days, reality is very big and the hope is still there, but there's a lot more facts on the table uh, uh, now than there were, um, you know, 20 years ago. And because of that, um, it takes a longer time to stand up a business. You know, it's the long nose of innovation. So it's not two, three, four years and sell. It's five, seven, 10, 12 years, and then maybe potentially explore, you know, um, a liquidity um, in your company. So the timeline is much longer. Um, and I think the rigor around um, the things that people look for uh, in terms of investment and joining the team as an employee and so forth, very, 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 very different. 
Absolutely. So Kenj, uh, one more question on, on that regards. How challenging it was for you? Uh, or the question is, uh, what was the most challenging moment in, in your entrepreneurial journey? What, was there any specific one which you could share? Um, well, I've had, geez, you know, there's been so many challenges. Maybe the one challenge that was perhaps the most difficult to overcome was my last company when um, I raised a uh, Series A. I had 40-something employees, a fairly sizable monthly burn. I had more investors than employees, and the, and the bubble on the internet popped. Uh, and I was preparing for a Series B round and I can assure you that uh, there were no Series B uh, rounds uh, in the United States um, in uh, 2002. Um, all, all the investors were busy cutting the dead wood from their portfolio and uh, helping their existing investment survive. And that put me in a, a very difficult circumstance of how to continue growing a company uh, that at the time was just making the transition from pre-revenue to revenue. So we certainly did not have the fuel in the tank to survive uh, the growth of the company absent investors. So I had to downsize the company. I had to, um, I had to completely uh, re reorg uh, our cap table with investors. And I had to find a path forward for the investors and the, and the key employees that stuck in with me. And we were able to do that, but that was probably easily one of the more um, challenging um, times in, in, in my career. It was um, really, uh, really put me on pause. Um, I hadn't experienced, uh, uh, you know, a fatal type of, you know, uh, challenge like that. Uh, before there had always been good challenges, and this was definitely something that uh, knocked me back on my heels and and uh, was very sobering personally. I appreciate you you sharing that moment with us, uh, Kent. Uh, uh, but one of the questions which I wanted to ask you is: uh, so, in in your B two B sales session, you mentioned that sales is a ninety percent failure driven activity. And it's about pushing those 90% away. And you also have a formula for sales. So would love if you could, you know, explain more about it. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah. And that's the reality of sales is the majority of people you talk with and you engage with, um, they don't become your customers, but they're, they're happy to take up your time. And at the end of the day, sales is a, is a time management challenge. It's, you know, how do you direct your time and energy toward those customers and developing those relationships that can result in a paying customer? And it's, it's, it's very challenging when um, the signal to noise ratio in a, a typical sales funnel is, is pretty bad. So uh, I, I, you know, unlike maybe a lot of the sales books out there where they say, you know, they claim that sales is always about qualifying customers um, I don't believe that's the hardest part of sales. I think qualified customers are easy to spot. You know, when you're working with a, a well-respected person in an organization with a need and a pain and 
they have timing and that stuff's easy. It's the people that have the appearance of real that uh, won't tell you that they're not real or for whatever reason won't buy from you, but will take up your time. That's the challenge in sales. So sales is about disqualifying people, right? Because uh, people tend not to disqualify themselves, right? People have a hard time saying no for whatever reason. So I think effective B2B sales is about learning how to say no for the customer, about owning no, and about giving people off ramps, right? So to move them out of your, out of your way so you can focus your time on uh, you know, more uh, productive pursuits. So I, I take a, a different you know, approach to sales than, than many. Um, and the trick to doing that is, is really just how to optimize your, your time to revenue ratio, right? Mm -hmm. by, by moving, you know, turning over your pipeline and moving those folks that uh, are not gonna result in customers and owning and managing, being very disciplined about that, I think is a, a very important part of the sales function. That makes a lot of sense, Kent. That, that oh, my formula? Yes, uh, I do have your formula with me. <laughs> I can. Uh, well, I think it's uh, just top of mind. It's uh, SW cubed over N. Yes. Uh, yes. Some will, some won't. So what? Next. Next. <laughs> you just have to, you know, you have to get up every morning, dust yourselves off and get after the, you know, the day with a, a good positive attitude. So you, you really can't, um, you can't internalize, you can't personalize failure in sales. You won't last very long. Absolutely, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense, Kent. Uh, you have mentored a lot of startup founders, Kent. What common traits or characteristics do you see in between the successful and the unsuccessful ones? That's a great question. Um, so when you work with mentoring talented technical founders, it's not about judging whether their business is gonna be successful, whether their idea is successful or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm right? That's a, that's a, a failed mission. Um, nobody's good at picking winners, even professional investors. They're not good at picking winners. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, in the VC and the investment profession, you invest in 15 to 20 companies because maybe one will pop out. It's a numbers game, right? It's not about picking winners. Um, I think the successful companies I've worked with in the past, it's about really the founder, the founding team and whether they're coachable and whether they're going to persist and whether they're going to listen to the market and whether they're going to execute. Right. So it's really about finding people that have the entrepreneurial DNA, right. The right attributes, the willingness to, to learn, to change, to, to be coached, to persist. And as it turns out, many of the companies that I've worked with, uh, over years, uh, their company looks very, very different um, two, three years later than it did when I met them. So if I was judging whether or not I'd work with the company on the merits of what their company looked like when I met them, I'd be missing out on a lot of great opportunities. So it's about working with people that are just adapt and change quickly and get after it and make it happen and persist and that just have that entrepreneurial drive. Thank you for sharing that, Kent. Uh, what advice would you give to someone in their early 20s who want to succeed in the business world? 
Well, you know, when you're in your young 20s, you're in this precious period in your time where you don't have a lot of uh, responsibilities, a lot of burden. You've got this opportunity to do great things and mm -hmm. take a lot of risks without uh, harming people around you because you've got responsibilities. You don't have a family, you don't have a house, whatever. So I think anyone in their 20s that really want to do their own thing or really want to carve out their own path, they should swing for the fence, right? Go Absolutely. for it. Join a company, make something, fail at something. It doesn't matter, but it's a, it's a precious window in your life where um, you don't really need a lot to survive. You can live on the ramen noodles, right? Um, but, uh, and you've got a lot of energy, you, you know, you lack experience, you know, at that age. So, you know, find some mentors, find some people that uh, can help you, uh, give you great advice and, and swing for the fence. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kent. Uh, with that on lighter note, I was, I was listening to you on Joe's podcast and there he mentioned that you're into woodworking space. Is it something which you have done professionally as well, or this is just something as a hobby which you maintain? Um, that's more like a therapy. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it'll, it'll ruin any sense of doneness <laughs> in your life because nothing's ever done. It just continues and continues where when you have a woodworking project, there's a, there's a plan that doesn't change. There's a beginning, a middle and an end, and there's a prize. So <laughs> that's my therapy. <laughs> With that, Kent, uh, thank you so much. It was it was a pleasure talking to you. And you're the first guest on the Startup 107 podcast. So thank you once again for, for being on the podcast. Uh, pleasure meeting you as well. I enjoyed speaking with you, Simone. Have a uh, great weekend. Thank you so much, Kent. Have a great weekend, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye.